Says, get that India, big boy. Good morning. My name is John, aka Forty Twenty. I'm a little bit upset this morning, but we'll get into that in the wake of the Week One Finals loss to Melbourne Storm. Joining me, as always, is my good friend Sixties. How's it going, mate? Well, mate, I'm a bit like you. There's probably better ways to be waking up on a Sunday in the middle of a long weekend, and like you, I'll have plenty to say. Yeah, I feel like the the um the stories of the heroic defeats and whatnot are much better when they're told in like a, a Greek tragedy or or Hollywood or whatnot. It's not as fun when you're on the receiving end of them. That's that's far too true, mate. All right, so Melbourne Storm 36 defeat Parramatta Eagles 24 up at Suncorp Stadium last night. Uh, try scorers for the Storm, Suliasi Vinavalu, Ryan Pappenhusen, Josh Adokar, Jesse Bromwich, Brenko Lee, and Ryan Pappenhusen once again. Cameron Smith perfect off the boot. For the Parramatta Eels, you had Nathan Brown open the scoring for both teams, followed by Quinton Gufferson, Blake Ferguson, and Sean Lane. Like Cameron Smith, Mitchell Moses was also perfect from the boot. Um, taking the score, obviously, 24 points. Quick run through the team stats. Unfortunately, this is probably where the game was won and lost straight up. Uh, Melbourne Storm dominating possession to the tone of 57% to 43. That uh, number actually sort of regulated a little bit within the last 20 minutes. So for the most of the game, it was 61-39, if I recall correctly. Likewise, time of possession dominated by Melbourne, 29-46 versus Parramatta's 22-27. Eels ahead on completion rates, 79% with their 33 from 42 sets versus Melbourne Storm's 73% from 30 from 41 sets. And that's interesting because those set numbers, Parramatta are actually having the advantage with better completion rates, which suggests that Melbourne got much more clutch six-again course and the like. Uh, whereas Parramatta probably end up completing sets early as well on the back of six again calls, tries, all that sort of thing, um, and helping that time possession and possession rate get blown out despite having more sets at their disposal. Um, in terms of all the key attacking stats, unsurprisingly, Melbourne are ahead of Parramatta on runs, run meters, post contact meters. Line breaks are up 11 to 5, tackle breaks 34 to 18. Um, so, given their weight of possession, that shouldn't come as any sort of surprise. Eels edged them out in offloads 12 to 10. Um, they had more kicks, which is interesting once again in, ter- in terms of the possession rates. Um, Parramatta's 22 kicks, Melbourne's 15. But I suppose Melbourne were at a luxury to score a few more tries and, and probably you know run the ball a bit more on the last. Uh, defensively, Melbourne had 88.9% to effective tackle rate to Parramatta's 85%. So never team defending particularly brilliantly on the night. But it was a game that favoured uh, fast-paced attacking on both sides. So that makes sense. Uh, negative plays, the Eels made less errors than Melbourne, 11-14, to 14, uh, conceded one more penalty, 6-5, to five, and ruck infringements were equal, but not equal, which we can get to later at five apiece. Um, but yes, the good old first tackle, six again for Parramatta. Um, yeah, there's nothing that gets any more upset than that, I think, the old first tackle, six again, but let's jump into it, mate. There's a, there's a lot to digest, there's a lot to unpack. Um the Melbourne Storm obviously improving to 7-0 on Parramatta, against Parramatta in the finals. Uh, the Eels, I mean, there was injuries, there was drama, there was a comeback. Uh, they they sort of started so red hot. Where do you want to start with this? Because there, there is so much that we can talk about for just 80 minutes of football. Well, first of all, let's say that there was obviously more that the Storm did well enough to earn the victory. <clears throat> so I think it's probably worthwhile that we break down the Parramatta performance into those things that we could control against those things that we couldn't control and start analysing from there. So for me, the first take that we could control that we, where we didn't aim up as we should was defence because there was a, a number of key errors that obviously led to some storm tries and we can't shirk away from the fact that there's things that we didn't do well enough in finals football and that was a significant factor in the loss. So obviously we're talking about a couple of players missing assignments. Mm-hmm. To me, a key thing that, that occurred was Kane Evans missing a couple of assignments 
in, uh, I believe it was the second Melbourne try, uh, failing to lock up Munster, and then drifting uh, across to cover the drifting, the the, the gap yeah. that he created with that offload. That was, I mean, and Kane. I mean, I don't want to put the boot in, but you know, sort of we we've given Kane a little bit of a pump up last podcast because. He'd rebounded from that Penrith game after making similar sort of mistakes where he'd come on and let, and let the opposition score one way or another on the back of like giving away a cheap six again or, or a bad line break. And then he back to his bad habits last night, which is so frustrating. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you have to praise what deserves to be praised and you also have to be critical about what deserves to be critical. And we're not gonna be we're not gonna be personally critical with with Kane in any way, shape, no, or form, because if, if the previous at... weeks, previous weeks, he made he'd made a difference coming off the bench. He'd maintained the momentum and the impact, and that's obviously the the Kane Evans that the New Zealand Warriors have chased as a priority signing mm-hmm. for next year. But in finals football, what you were seeing from Parramatta in the early part of that first half was the sort of scramble and desperation in defence that we'd seen when Parramatta took on the Panthers and the Panthers dominated possession. So we had Parramatta that was dealing with uh, a possession rate that was mounting up against them and the fresh player comes on the field and you'd have to call it a a lazy sort of effort because the level of defensive commitment just – it wasn't there on a clutch play and it became crucial yeah. because it it gave it really gave not only points on the board but a little bit of additional momentum to the storm yeah cuz at that point or, or sort of prior to that Mel, uh, melbourne were not on their knocked on their ass but Parramatta came out raced out to that 12-0 lead playing you know aggressive up tempo football in possession looking to counter attack when it provided the opportunity and then you know they sort of worked their way back into the game and then they get that huge blow before half time, and if Parramatta go in twelve, you know we talk about twelve zero, but even twelve six, I think you know it, psychologically it's that much of a difference. Instead of going in at twelve all, and I know they had their opportunity to score before half time, but that was a, a long shot, and yeah, just it was very upsetting because it sort of undermined so much hard work done that first twenty twenty five minutes, and it really gave Melbourne a sniff, which is what you never want to do is give them that sniff, and and that's, credit. That's right. Sorry, you go. No, no, I was just going to say that 100% correct. And I, I was going to say that, you know, you talk about what you control and what you can't control. I think Melbourne's sheer pace, their, their raw speed, really showed how threatening it can be last night because we we scrambled and scrambled and defended really well for long segments. But they just kept, when they, you keep throwing that, you know, um, those sheer mismatches of um, Ryan Pappenhusen and Josh Adekar in all, all those different opportunities, eventually the, the sheer weight of that possession will, you know, cause issues. So Melbourne's speed yeah, and, was a was a big issue last night. Yeah, and again, you can people can be looking and be critical about Parramatta's defensive performance last night. And and you have to agree with uh, the, <clears throat> the criticism. However, unless you have I've I said it before in the preview. Unless you've seen the storm live, you do not have any concept about the speed of their play. You you have to be watching at a game with the full view of the field and see the bodies in motion, see the speed of the play to have a true appreciation of the challenge that they throw at the defence. Now, we started off with a criticism of Kane Evans. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's not the only one who missed assignments defensively last no. night. There were still issues around uh, Wonga Blake. Yeah, prior even, even prior to injuries, that's right. There were, yeah. there were issues on the right edge. Mitchell Moses yeah. had a number of bad misses. They really went after him defensively. Um, and, you know, right. just, just around the ruck, there was a number of, uh, a number of moments where a- any number of core players could be pointed out in film saying, well, look, you could have done better there. And, you know, that, that ended up costing us for this reason here. I mean, you talk about the sort of the nail in the coffin try, which we'll, we'll get to it because there were some issues of it surrounding the um, the officiating. But uh, when Ryan Pappenhusen broke through off the Blake Ferguson error, um, you know, Reed Money ended up missing a tackle, but he was, he was also potentially obstructed by a couple of um, 
Melbourne Storm forwards. So all that sort of stuff adds up when you end up bleeding 36 points. Yeah, but the, the reason that I started off with highlighting that moment with Kane Evans, and it may also be true of the fact that this is the assignment that's set for players coming off the interchange bench where they have to be straight up with the speed of the yep. game. And we come back to the fact that Melbourne really throw that pace of the game at you. However, there wasn't anything that was extraordinary about what he needed to do in that tackle on Munster because the legs tackle was already there by, I believe it was Ryan Madison that was around the leg. That's right. So, you, so you, your entire job is wrap up the ball. That is it. You cannot let the offload get away. He yeah. is not a tiny man by any by any means. No, he's got uh, a 10-meter you know, wingspan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kane, Kane Evans, yeah, whereas like, Munster's a solid build, but Kane Evans is a monster when you see him. And the fact that he he either had a choice of wrapping up with a big, those big wings of his, the ball, or just simply smashing Munster to the ground, and he, he's not coming in under any sort of fatigue, and then there was, as you said, the, it was almost like an ambling be, uh, towards where the play went after that. Yeah. And it, again, with the desperation, it could have been shut down. Now, as I said, there was there were other players that were guilty of of uh, poor defensive reads or or executions. But what had tra- as I, I come back to what had transpired before then was finals level desperation in scramble. And I, I just didn't see that from from him at a key moment. So I've got to be I've got to be critical there. I really have to be critical there. Um, and I'm not going to be overly critical about what we saw from him after then because it wasn't like he played an error filled game or um, or or missed too many assignments after that. But my goodness, that was a that was just a a, a bad time. It was such a critical time in the match. To, to lose that ascendancy that we had on the on the scoreboard in a moment like that. Now, as I said, there, there were other players that, that were that were missing assignments. There were times where the disruptions in our uh, edge players, and even Bellamy acknowledged this about us in his press conference. To to his credit, he Dis- said disruption is putting it lightly. I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. He, he said that they got that advantage from the disruptions on Parramatta's edges with players playing out of position, that sort of thing. And that obviously goes to the um, communication disruptions that's there when you've got players playing alongside others in positions that they're less familiar with. So uh, you can understand that. But there, again, there were players that, uh, that if we had to uh, shut things down at the right time, then certain tries aren't scored. And that now leads me to the other key error defensively, and we have to say it as a, de- as a defensive error, was Blake Ferguson's miss on that rolling ball, yeah, which, which then led directly to a try <sighs> being scored where we would not have had, uh, we, the Storm would not have been in possession there. You just don't know what would have transpired yeah. in the match after that. Yeah, so, I feel I feel bad for Fergo because he he actually tried his heart out in terms of off the ball on Adokar, his his cousin actually, a number of times there was a, a number of big plays and and a number of cover efforts that he made throughout the course of that yeah. game that were huge, and naturally you know a lot of fans are only going to remember that one error which led to a, a heartbreaker try, and yeah you can oh, understand from a yep. fan perspective why they'd only remember that because that was a huge moment. It but, was a huge moment, and and we have to acknowledge that. He he'd had the sort of game where you'd have to say he left nothing in the tank, but it's become in in Fergo's older years that ball along the ground has proven an area and that Achilles is a, a problem for heels. him. Oh, absolutely! Even even, even, even the try. I was about to say I was going. I was so nervous because he was. You saw him yeah. watching it, watching it. it's like please. He's like he's like saying please stay down and just let me tap it down. Please stay down. Please yeah. stay down. And he waited until like the last possible before it could potentially hit the sideline to <laughs> to tap it down. Oh goodness! You'd have to say he, and I don't think it's an unreasonable call that he now has the yips about a rolling ball. Uh, almost certainly, almost certainly. So. Um, yeah, we're now we'll, we'll get on to injuries a, a little bit later. So um, 
we have, as I said, we have to we have to acknowledge the fact that there were things that we could control. That if we had have done better, we're in a better chance of of winning the clash. Okay, but so now, of course, there's the flip side. Yeah, and I, I want to start off. I want to start off there about things we can't control, and what's become a, a theme among some of our our more frustrating losses this year is the the lopsided possession. What what yeah. is going wrong there insofar as what can Parramatta do to you know get closer to fifty fifty possession? Because you saw it against South Sydney where we lost thirty eight nil. You saw it against the Penrith Panthers in our second fixture against them when we lost twenty to two, and then we saw it last night with a, a thirty six to twenty four loss. The possession rates were completely lopsided. Yeah. So yeah, and there's there were two aspects of that. So we we spoke at halftime last night. And uh, in our, our our halftime phone call and assessment of what was going on, and I said to you that, uh, and I think the possession rate was around about that forty percent mark. It, in it was a sixty-one half. thirty-nine split at halftime. Yeah, if in a yeah. comma accurate, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's insane. That sort of possession split, and during the week when I'd been I'd been getting lots of text messages from. Uh, friends and and fellow supporters through the week, and a key thing that I'd spoken about was we have to get up near fifty percent possession against the Storm in a finals game. There was no ifs or buts about it. If that stat was anywhere down towards forty percent or lower, we wouldn't win. It just wouldn't happen. And I said to you that at halftime, that possession rate had to change. Or we w- we won't win. It just it just won't happen. And in that first half, we just to just to get to what that came from. You have to say that there was. I think the penalty count in that first half was something like about four to one against Parramatta. And you also had the the difference in where the six agains were called. So you had you had it coming from that. In the second half, there was obviously a, a factor which was where Melbourne went bang, bang, bang with some tries, and you had the nature of repeat possession of try, kick off, try, kick off, and I think there was some late again a, a late six again call or two in there, which that helped to keep that possession rate going their way. So I don't think we could. I don't think we could contain that possession rate in that first half. There wasn't anything more that we could have possibly done in that first half. So I think in summation, there were factors again that we could control and factors that we couldn't control and our errors we couldn't control, but then the Melbourne Storm were making errors as well. So then you come back to the bloke in the middle. Has been a major factor yeah, in that and, position rate, and yeah, refs faulting, refs blaming is always you know you know, it, you know especially in a loss like this where Melbourne obviously played really well in attack, and Parramatta you know dug deep. You're not going to point out that as a as the deciding factor, but geez, there's some inconsistency in the ruck, and it was so yeah. frustrating listening to the commentary last night on Fox, and they're talking about how Parramatta you know being so bad defensively through the middle and they're not competing, and and they're letting Melbourne get this big role on. It's like well, every time we try and compete, it's an instant six again. Yeah, like the, the, there were definitely six against last night where he was, Klein was 100 percent the right. There was one moment where Sean Lane, I think it was, clearly pushed the guy that was getting up to play the ball, and that was an obvious six again. And I, I got upset at Sean Lane; I blew up at him. But there yeah. was also times where Mitchell Moses cuts down Cameron Munster from a side of a great, you know, grass cutter tackle, doesn't hold hold down by any means, and it's an instant six again. And I'm just like, but what? Why? And that was on the fourth yeah. tackle. And this is this is our issue that we have with the the six again the the idea that you want to keep the ball in play more with the six again rather than going to breaks is an absolutely fine in principle idea behind the six again but the whole system is flawed because i keep coming back to it from my perspective it is the new scrum penalty because it's it's introduced another discretion call for the referees where their decision about when when and where they rule that six again is is so critical because as you just pointed out there are so many times where you could call six again 
And then there's so many times where we look at it and we go, well, what the hell was that for? And I think if you've got if you've got a an instrument for referees where there's too many times that the public are confused about why it was awarded or why it wasn't awarded, that perhaps it draws an unfair focus from supporters onto the referees who may be perfectly justified in, as you said, in some of those calls, and yet you, it's hard to find a justification with others. And I've been against it since it was first introduced. The fact that there are now obviously coaches whose ploy is to give away a first tackle six again. Like Craig Bellamy. Yeah, and I think I think it's fair to say Ivan Cleary. Yeah, with with Penrith, that there is it's, that it's they the, are it's more the same, likely to give that. It's the same psychological attack, I think. And I use attack a little bit loosely, but it's the same attack on referees that the good coaches did back in the in the era prior to the six again in the in the goal line stands that the Roosters and the Melbourne Storm make, concede, deliberately conceding penalties and daring the ref to keep blowing their whistle. And at some yeah. point, there is whistle fatigue, and I feel yeah. like it's the same with the six against. Yeah, well, when you've got uh, a six again that's already been called on the first or second tackle. And let's face it, if you've got a team, they've had their first tackle and then the defence makes their um, uh, indiscretion at the on the very next play, which you might say, well, that's a second tackle, six again. It's not. You've only When the ref calls six again, that then becomes the second tackle becomes the first tackle. And all that you, the only thing that happens is you get a, an ex, one extra tackle. That's it. And if you've had the offence committed by either being offside or holding down, which allows their defensive line to uh, be better composed, then there is absolutely zero advantage to be had from that early tackle call six again. Even outside of the fact that it's only one extra tackle, they've committed the offence to deliberately committed the offence to give away that six again so that they can get the defence settled. So, yeah. and, and the attack is on the back foot. And more often than not, this is happening 10 metres out from the team's line. It's, a, it's, it's following a kick or a turnover of possession. And it's just, it's infuriating when you see it happen because you know that once that call's gone on the very first tackle, it's less likely that there's going to be massive the diminishing call returns. Made yeah, on, on the as, call coming later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, it, and and when you have certain referees that are appointed to games, you know you are cringing at the thought of what is about to transpire in a game. And we we spoke and, about this many times over the course of the season and. I yeah, just I don't yeah. understand how the second top build game, the the two v three clash with you know the most Im important implications for the final series moving forwards uh, beyond obviously the one before game that was played on Friday, gets Ashley Klein. I don't uh, is he the second best referee in the NRL? Is he really the second best referee? Evidently, well, they believe so. Well, yeah, this at the risk of sounding like ref bashing, we don't mean this to be. We know we're not alone as as supporters having an issue with Ashley Klein as a referee, just in terms of comp from a competence perspective, that he is a long way from being up near the top like, of the in, referees' in, game. In this game, ignoring general play issues that we have in terms of six agains and and ruck, uh, consistency, we had Ashley Klein have uh, a potential eight point try not even looked at, where Sean Lane was cheap shotted from Branko Lee. And oh. didn't didn't even go upstairs and, and consider about it. It was a late shot with knees to the back, and you know, and just because Sean Lane doesn't stay down, we don't go upstairs. And then yeah, you have and, yeah. And can I just say, what there is something wrong where a team has to stay down, a player has to stay down on a team after a try is scored for that to even be looked at. There there is something wrong because. It was the most obvious thing. As soon as it, and we're watching it on television, let alone seeing it live. But you look, as soon as it happened, it was like, now, geez, that looked late. And then, of course, the replays showed just how late it was that the the ball had been well and truly grounded. And we're not even talking about 
slow motion replays, the ball had been well and truly grounded. And Branko Lee's just jumped in right on top of him to deliver what can only be described as a cheap and shot on a bloke who scored a try. Nathan Brown was uh, was um, penalised right, correctly against the Gold Coast Titans and ended up missing two weeks um, when he, he, he led with knees late against um, Dale Copley. So yeah. you had that. You had multiple instances of the, the Melbourne Storm gamesmanship blatantly refusing to pack scrums during Parramatta's late surge to try and make the game competitive um, during that last 10, 15 minutes where the shot clock was completely disregarded by Klein because yes. the Melbourne Storm re- didn't even like put one or two men in the scrum. They refused to put six men in the scrum whatsoever. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, that, then, that, that blew... The, I, I have to stop you there. That was blowing my mind. And there, th- was, there was instances... Like Parramatta were packed and they're saying to Klein, we're packed, we're ready. And he, he didn't... He didn't blow the blow time off. And then there, there, was an, there was an example in one of those scrums where Melbourne eventually packed the scrum. He, he warned Cameron Smith seven or eight times to move his legs to allow the ball to be played. And yeah. Cameron Smith refused to comply. And instead of penalising him, he's just like, Cameron, move your leg. Cameron, your leg. Cameron, move your leg. Penalise him. Penalise yeah. him. But it, it shows yeah. you, I mean, you know, once again... It, it's a begrudging respect to Cameron Smith. If you can influence the game and bully the ref that way, I suppose you're going to keep doing it because they're too cowardly to call you out on it. Can, just to, and this is getting slot. It's on the same topic, but it's getting slightly off the topic. I cannot understand a, a referee system where a much respected referee like Gavin Badger is consigned to sideline officiating the entire season and then basically yeah, forced, forced into retirement. Yeah. And then you have referees who are clearly not up with the pace of the game, who are not capable of making correct decisions and can't find the that correct balance between having calls checked and not checked and Let's face it, there is a there is a litany of decisions, even recent decisions with Ashley Klein, where he failed where he will fail to check decisions that have that are close calls for tries or things that should be looked at. Even if even if it's proven that the the, the try is fine, uh, we, we saw in that game with the South Swinger going into touch where that was really close and they can point to the sideline official and say, well, he's missed his assignment in saying that it's, that it's fine. But the bloke was that close to the sideline. We see the, the slightest doubt checked in, uh, in video ref decisions with the decision about referral to video refs. And can we now just look at a couple of instances? You, we, you've mentioned about that potential eight-point try to Sean Lane, where Branko Lee jumped on top of him. There's there's certainly a couple of other things that I can look at there. The the call for obstruction on Reed Marnie's which kick. Which ended up being correct, but in saying that there were two offside, blatantly offside oh. defenders. And the, the the problem for Parramatta is is that if they'd gone ahead and challenged that, I if I recall correctly, you can't get uh you can't challenge for the offside. Because I believe yeah. there was a game against Canberra for the Dogs or the Sharks in the regulation season where they tried the challenge, end up not only losing the challenge but getting penalised themselves um, yeah. in, in reverse. Because you, it's not a, it's one of those stupid loopholes with the current challenge system. You can't challenge for that. But yeah, that was yeah. a that was a, a big missed call there. And then you you had speaking of challenges, you had the Melbourne Storm allowing being allowed to challenge like forty seconds after the fact of the. Um, of the Kenny Bromwich being offside from the um in general play in, um, ahead of the play the ball, and you know Gufson correctly goes after Klein saying you're letting them challenge like well after ten seconds he's like no no I made my decision late, and this is them you know getting the thing and obviously Parramatta ended up benefiting because they lost the challenge, uh, but yeah. like there's just no control there's no yeah. control, and he said something like. Uh, they didn't understand what my yeah. call was for. I don't care if you've made the if you've made the call. The ten second clock starts. That's yeah. on them to roll the dice on the challenge. And you had, and prior to that, you'd had <clears throat> that embarrassing scenario in the Canberra and Cronulla finals match where you saw um, the uh, the the clear 
challenge that was coming in before the quick tap was taken. Yeah. And um, and then there's that confusion around when <clears throat> when can you challenge, when can't you challenge in terms of what sort of offence. It's almost like they ushered in, challenge a, for. ushered in a half-baked system. Oh, yeah. Now, the that decision with Grant Atkins was, and, and it was backed up by the NRL's statement on that, that a... A, a ruck, in, a discretionary ruck infringement cannot be challenged. Now, in that in that instance, I think that was a technicality because the the six again call broke down, and the six again call couldn't be challenged. And then it broke down because of and because it broke down, it then became a penalty. Whereas we have seen many times before where a challenge has been made on uh, the lost possession in the ruck where maybe there'd been a penalty or not a penalty or whatever the case may be, but you're seeing the balls lost in the, in the ruck or you know dropped or whatever the case may be, and then a challenge comes in. So that's where the public and probably the footballers themselves are going to be confused about yeah. Well, we can challenge for that, but hang on, we can't challenge for that. Yep. So when we come, so when we come back to a scenario where the, now the ref is saying, "Well, they weren't aware of what my call was for," that's why I'm going to give them more time <laughs> yep. to issue the so... challenge. And they've had a they've had a chance to have a look at the and they saw the screen. replay. And obviously, Melbourne yeah. saw mistakenly thought that the replay started from a play the ball from Vunavalu, where instead he offloaded. And that's why they yes. challenged because they thought that that was the play the ball and Bromwich was onside. But yeah. instead, you know, Vunaval offloaded late and it was a play on from the original play the ball where Bromwich never got back onside. Yeah. So that yeah. that really, you know, obviously a beneficial result for the Eels, but the process was diabolical. And then the yeah. last one that really griped my gears is that Klein got baited by the trainer to stop the game for a cramp, which is a big, a big no-no. You don't make the stop games for cramps. But, yeah. you know, and that was once again, Parramatta surging on the attack. Melbourne were actually like backpedaling hard that set defensively. And and yet we had to stop the game for the cramp. And then he's like, oh, the trainer put his hand up. And I mean, to be fair to Klein, there's not much he can do in that scenario where the trainer is going to obviously cheat the system. So it's on the NRL now to find Melbourne heavily. Like it, it is on them to come out and say, if you're going to do that and you're going to blatantly cheat the injury system, which is there like for, for player welfare, not for cramps, Hundred thousand dollar fine. Yeah, like yeah. no, no jokes. Don't don't mess around with it. Don't cheat the rules. And yeah. you know, once again, people are going to praise Melbourne for the gamesmanship aspect and, and maximizing their you know the, every aspect of the game into their favor. But and and to, to an extent, they're correct. But there there shouldn't be room in the game for this sort of stuff. And no. you know, and this this will go to, on the flip side against Parramatta too. If we were blatantly manipulating the injury rules like that. You know, come down on us. And and in all my complaining and our complaining here, I'm sure that Melbourne, Melbourne Storm fans that had their filter on the game will come back and say, well, in this instance here, Parramatta obviously had a misforward pass and there was obviously, you know, an obstruction here that they missed. And that's that's probably fair. There's going to be calls on both sides. I'm just sick of the inconsistency in the ruck and I'm sick of the, the low standards of officiating in general. Yeah. And I'm still not finished on, on Klein with his video checking calls the the try to uh pappenhausen off uh in the incident where blake ferguson was injured in that scenario first of all you've got a ball that comes free in in a try scoring movement you've then got munster picking up the ball it was i think it was munster at that instance where he's then run in an arc behind numerous players, numerous Storm players before he finds that opening and darts through it. Now, there's... I'm not going to go into uh, avoiding the criticism that is deserved by some of the Parramatta defenders there because there there was lazy defending that occurred in that where he shouldn't have been allowed to get through the line there's the inside work as he cut across the the players again didn't uh, make didn't make their assignment however you've got two instances there which call on review yeah 
you have, you have to, every time the ball comes <laughs> yeah virtually every time the ball comes free in a try scoring movement the referee goes can we just check how that ball came out and then and then when you've got players that are running behind other players in a try scoring movement they they will say can we just check that there was no obstruction it, there was the time was there. It's a finals match for crying out loud. In, in saying that, you, when we did the you have vi- to check, you when, have to, when we did uh, go, I, you have to check. When we did go to the VRF, we also had them completely ignore Kenny Bromwich being offside from a kick, and then somehow he knocked on in the field of play instead of the in goals. Like, yeah. I don't understand the entire sequencing of the officiating. The other thing that gripe, on both sides here that grind my gear is first off. Wanga Blake getting stripped one-on-one, which had me infuriated at Wanga's lapse of uh, concentration there. And yeah, and, he's, and can we just say as well, and, and this comes back into the things that we could control, that's not his first dance. No, that, to that, that is on. That is obviously something that the good teams have on tape and have said you can. his ball-carrying arm gets loose, you can drop off and pick him off. And yes, the, the whole drop-off thing is lame and I, I don't like it, but it's a, it's a rule that is there to exploit it and credit to the Storm for doing it. But in saying that, there was another strip where I thought it should have been a penalty where Mitchell Moses makes that line break from Reed Marnie's pass and then he's on the ground and in the like, once he's on the ground, the tackle's complete and yet yeah. uh, Justin Olam's allowed to rip the ball out of his hands and if Moses had gotten up and run the ball, he would have been called back to play the ball. Yeah. But Olam is allowed to rip the ball out of his hands and every time you see that happen everywhere else, it's a penalty. So yeah. just, once again, inconsistent officiating. And, and like I said, I'm sure that Melbourne Storm fans can easily point to a number of instances that impacted their side, but that, that doesn't make my our points any any less more vindicating. And if anything, it, it helps highlight just how inconsistent the officiating is for both teams. Yeah, and I also want to go on record here as saying that in the totality of the match, Melbourne were were able to do what needed to be done and deserve the win. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm and I am not going to ref blame in terms of excusing Parramatta for the things that they should have done because this was one of those instances and I've said this before where a good team has to be good enough to overcome poor decisions and poor officiating but I'm not going to overlook the impact that poor officiating had on that game Uh, poor, poor officiating didn't stop, didn't cause the missed tackles. No, but, and, and that, that is an but, important thing. But it, led, but it led to the repeat possessions yeah. and led to the field position that that put Parramatta under pressure where players missed their assignment and it doesn't excuse them missing that assignment. And that's where the good teams, in fi- especially in finals football, have to be able to overcome those sorts of errors. But to ignore the fact that you have an official who is... Uh, as 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 incompetent as Ashley Klein is, and I'm sorry, I've said it before. I, I I don't regard I don't regard him as biased in any way, shape, or form. I'm not saying that he's got a, a set against Parramatta because I think he's got to get uh, his errors affect every team when he's out there officiating. Yeah, he uh, just this, is this not is not one a Parramatta four referees. He is not one of the top four referees. No. And for the NRL to suggest that someone like him is a far better official than Gavin Badger is an insult to all NRL supporters. All right. So I agree completely, but let's not waste too much more breath on the officiating. There, there is some interesting stats to come out of this game on a, on a larger scale. Um, the last time these two teams met in the finals prior to last night, obviously, was the infamous 32-0 blot out in week two of the finals in the 2019 final series. Do you want to guess what the possession rate was in that game? I'm I'm guessing that it was maybe about worse than 60-40. It was 57-43, the exact, exact oh. same split as this time, this game. Okay. Time of possession was 29-12 to 29-46 for the Storm in that game versus 22-01 and 22-27. So the splits were almost identical to the blowout last year. And yet, you know, a bit of credit to the boys for rallying in this game and making it so close. Okay, so let's let's then, because we've had a look at the things that we could control that we didn't. So we've done our para blaming. <laughs> we've looked at the things we couldn't control, where we've apportioned uh, criticism towards uh, the officiating. And again, we're saying that the balance still is that Parramatta 
are responsible for a, a, a big chunk of the result. Where we blame we blame the officials. We've got fired up about the officiating, but we're still apportioning the blame to Parramatta to, for the loss. But now let's go at, to what Parramatta did well last night, because as you mentioned, you had very similar possession rates and you had a, a result which was a, a lot tighter than, well, obviously a lot tighter than the last time they clashed and it was similar and it was a similar possession. So how much how much focus should we put then on what Parramatta achieved and what Melbourne didn't achieve with those sorts of possession rates? So for Parramatta to score 24 points against the Melbourne Storm, with so little possession in comparison, you have to think, well, first of all, what might the score have been with the possession rate flipped? Yeah, and obviously you know that if those things were flipped, Melbourne's defensive competency would have helped them a long way. Yes. But you got to think that the Eels are at least two tries better if the possession yeah. is flipped that much more. And I don't know if Melbourne can score that many points on, on bloody 43% possession. Yeah. So, yeah, it shows you how important possession and holding the ball is. And, and you know, credit to the both the coaches and, and the players because they, they took their chances. They, they fired some real aggressive shots, including scoring one of the tries of the season in the uh, their, their try to go to 12-0 was, uh, was some of the most brilliant counterattacking you're going to see anywhere, you know, in the history of the game, if, if just 2020. Uh, and, yeah, so they took their chances. They they were aggressive around the ruck. They had a lot of outside inside balls and, and really tested the storm, but the storm's defensive systems are among the best in the NRL. And that's, you know, why they, they probably held us to 24 points on 43% possession. Yeah. So to sum up what, what Parramatta did well last night, a large part of that was around our attack. Let's, let's just limit our defensive praise to some terrific scramble. Yeah early on and and also let's praise the tenacity later in the game that when the threat was there that the storm was going to turn the scoreline into something that maybe would not have been deserved against us where the, an avalanche of, po- of points could come Parramatta's way there was a composure, a resilience that the Eels managed to find in, in that back 15 one hundred percent. And my uh, my concern will be whether they can manage to to ride out all the injuries next week and and you know rebuild against either the Rabbitohs or the Knights. But you know, I but think- before before we get into before we get into that, you you touched on uh, before we get into those injuries, you touched on our ruck play. The, yeah, in, in, in the attack that we were throwing around the ruck. And I think and, against a lesser team, maybe we, we make a lot more line breaks for the middle because oh. there was a number of good cover tackles by the Storm because um, we, we saw the likes of, um, obviously, Moses and Gufferson, but you also saw Junior Paulo, um, Reed Marnie. There was a lot of, like, really nifty ruck playing outside, inside, inside, outside, late, early, like all these different looks that we threw at Melbourne. And we end up making quite a few line breaks or, or half breaks, but because they're just so competent defensively, it was that, you know, t- to their credit, they managed to hold on. Yeah, yeah, you'd you'd have to say that against a lesser team, that that could have been a, a match where Parramatta scores forty points against yeah against a lesser team. And I know, but of course, it is finals football. Let's not stray away from the fact that Parramatta are not going to be playing a lesser team when they finish in the top four, and they and they're playing against but a, a it, side it was also that finished the above them. Encouraging attacking principles in action for us. Yes, we weren't throwing you know definitely. one out stuff that Melbourne could just gobble up and and you know sit back and, and feast on. Instead, we gave them different looks and, and really tested them. And and we continued to test uh, right up towards the end, where if any if, if there was a, a couple of occasions where up leading up to the Reed Marnie penalty against Reed Marnie for that obstruction play with his kick, which had led to the the no try to um, uh, uh, Andy Davy. Now, if that if that try had been scored there, if we had a scored around that time, we're coming into that last five minutes of the game, where it's a six point ball yeah, game and momentum's in our in our corner. Correct. So Parramatta had done a terrific job, but even even then, momentum. it wasn't just that in terms of the the late game hustle and effort. There was also there was a point where if if this isn't a knock on Andy Davy, but if we had a, a Specialist right centre, I think 
there was a point where Olam managed to cut him down on a sort of two-on-two that would have become a two-on-one if the centre could have beaten Olam. And, yeah. and, you know, obviously Davey's not a centre and Olam managed to get him down. And then even after that, there was a scrum where Josh Adokar just gets his hand to a ball with, I think there was like 90 seconds left on the clock, yeah. um, where he get, gets the bat down and, and stops a try in the corner. So the deals just kept coming at him and, and the Storm just just made enough defensive plays to, to so, keep going. Yeah, so the, where, there was, where there had been criticism about the Eels' attack and the fact that we weren't throwing anything at teams which truly threatened them, the, the threats were there from Parramatta, basically a, a lot, in, in a lot of our possessions. Because when you've got 43% uh, possession or less, because you know, we're, we're talking about times during the game where that position is considerably less, then when we get possession coming our way to threaten a team like the Storm, you have to say that there's a, there's a lot to be happy with with the Eels' attack. But you've touched on it before. Going forward now, we're about to deal with the impact of some injuries and we have to now start to speculate about players that might be missing and what the options are. Yeah, well, let's get a, a, a sort of the, the little picture first and look at what the injuries did to the Eels during the course of the game. And starting with Mike Acevo, who was injured during the course of that try, that fantastic try, wasn't he? Um, yes. When we, when we counterattacked and ended up with Gufferson scoring one of the all-time finals tries, you lose Mike Acevo. And you got Will Smith on the bench. And unfortunately, the one spot, the so the two spots that Will Smith isn't great covering are center wing. Otherwise, you feel he covers so many spots off the bench for you. So yeah. we um we sort of shoehorned Andrew Davey into left center and then um, swung Michael Jennings out to right center and then put Wanga, yeah. uh, put Wanga Blake on the wing. So yeah. that, that that is an incredible reshuffle, which was almost, it was that or put Ryan Madison in the center and do the same stuff. Like you make the same shuffle, and then it just puts Davey in the back row instead of Madison. So we had yeah. we had that. Then Andrew Davey gets concussed. So yeah. <laughs> we oh my, I, we end you up then putting, got Murata playing center. So Murata and yeah. Lane I think took tandem turns at playing center during the course yeah. of Davey's concussion. Uh, which I <laughs> just oh my goodness. So Davey yeah. ends up getting queered and comes back, and it will play out the game at center. But then Ferguson blows out his knee. And the Eels are, are, are waiting on scans, and they think that it might not be as bad as Micah's knee, but you know, knock on wood there. But so you lose your other winger, which forces Will Smith into the other center spot now, and then Jenko goes from left center to right center to wing. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and you know, and at least Bellamy did acknowledge that that certainly benefited the Storm. And and to be fair, they end up losing Cameron Munster late in the piece, but they'd already established that uh, thirty six uh, to eighteen lead at that point. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness and it, it shows you how in the modern game how important wing has become because it is such a specialist defensive position as much as it is a specialist attacking position yeah yeah. and that was that was brutal now it leaves the Eels uh, yeah stranded because Marcus Evo has been ruled out for the season that's his MCL gone again which fortunately shouldn't mean it means he'll you know depending on how the severity he could miss up to eight weeks but I think they're posturing a, a grade two or three MCL, which, if I'm if I recall correctly off the top of my head, is a max of like six to eight weeks on the grade three. But that's just off the top of my head. Uh, yeah. For Fergo, they're waiting on scans, but assuming the worst case scenario, you you've got a tough decision to make. Obviously, George Jennings can come in and, and plug in one spot, but do you go with Takarangi in the centres and push Wonga Blake to the wing? And Taka looked pretty rusty against the Tigers in, in defence in round twenty. Do you roll the dice on a rookie, which I don't think Brad will do, and Hayes Dunster? Like, oh, it's such a... I, I think this is, and this is just my take, my opinion, but I think it has obviously been in the back of BA's head that Wanga may potentially be better suited on the wing than at centre. Now, I've been calling for that since the issues... Defensive, this defensive plays really reached that crescendo, and I think that this now presents with that because if we've got to cover two wing spots, where we're not going to go with a rookie and a bloke that's our our third or fourth choice winger in George Jennings, 
So for mine, if we're losing both, if we're losing both wingers, we're looking at Tacker at the at the centre, into centre. We're looking at Wonga Blake on one wing, and we are looking at George Jennings on the other wing. And that's to me, that's the only option that they can possibly go with, unless they decide that Will Smith has the capability of playing on the wing. And I just, I just, I don't, I, I don't even know if you can carry. Happening. I don't even know if you can carry Will Smith into the game next week. Given yeah. given Kane's issues off the bench, I think you just need to light up. And don't forget that Murata's going to miss two weeks at least because yeah. he, he got done he got done for a, correctly uh, for an actual crusher there, and that's going to be a two week base charge with seventy percent loading for a, a similar uh, offence because you, you have twenty percent for an, a non similar offence which he's gotten for a high shot before, and fifty percent for a similar offence. So that's two hundred points minimum, seventy percent loading. So he's going to be looking at two to three weeks on the sidelines. Yeah, so what ends up happening there is you lose your best bench forward and both wingers. You have a sh- uh, you have a reshuffle around the the centre and wing positions. You have a team that's coming off uh, what has to be a a, a tough. A, a tough mental struggle after the, after being so up for that game. So here comes that that big headspace challenge that the Eels have traditionally not been very good at dealing with in the past, where they have they throw everything into an early finals game and then they have adversity in the in going forward from there and they don't overcome it. So. This is going to say a lot about where the team is at. I don't think today's match is a foregone conclusion in, in terms of the Knights against South. So I think you've got good South and you've got bad Souths. You've got them playing one of the most inconsistent teams in the NRL, in the Newcastle Knights, who on their day might be able to beat one of the top teams, but more often than not, they can also be beaten by one of the also rens in the competition and play absolutely awful football. So you don't know what what team we're going to play against. You'd have to say the balance of probability is the Rabbitohs, but I don't give, I don't say that that's a hundred percent chance. I don't even say it's a nine, eighty or ninety percent chance. I say it's a sixty percent chance mm-hmm. that it's going to be the Rabbitohs. But whoever it is that we play against is is most definitely going to be able to be on the front foot against the Parramatta side which is going to be hurting physically and psychologically after that game. Now, I'm, I'm in no way setting up an excuse for Parramatta because I've just said this is the mental challenge that we have to be big enough to cover. And if we bring Brad Takarangi into the centres, it's not like we're bringing in an inexperienced centre. We'd be bringing in a bloke who's played international football and whether he's on uh, in his best form or... Or, or whether he's he's still international level centre, Taka has enough experience and has enough in his skill set that he should be able to come into centre and we don't skip too much of a beat. In fact, I would argue, and I said it before, he was my preferred centre over Wonga Blake when I was calling yeah, for the, Wonga to be shifted the, the, to win. The big issue is him coming in cold, isn't it? Like we saw that, against the well, Tigers. Is that he? He got put on a on a like a traffic cone at times, uh, sort of couldn't quite adjust defensively because he came in of two months of uh, sitting on the sideline. So that'll be a big big spot for him to come in this week because I assume that's what's going to happen. Is that you can't ignore Tacker's experience and versatility in the centres, so he comes in, and you just got to hope that um, depending on the matchup. I mean, I, I think against Newcastle, I'd be pretty comfortable with Tacker just being able to hold himself defensively. Um, I assume he would play. Would would he play right centre or left centre? Do you think we'd switch Jenko, or would we just put it plug him into right centre attacker? That is, uh, I suppose that that all comes back to which which side are those wingers going to play? Is because there is there is no there is no set combination now. There is no winger to worry about. <laughs> Maybe Blake gets quid fit, but there is as it stands, there is no winger to worry about combinations with defensively. No, that's right, that's right. So I think I think. It's impossible to predict because I I don't know which 
which side um, you make the choice. Because I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure George has played wing on both sides. I believe so. He he was playing. He played right edge left. for us this year against Manly. Yeah, and he played on the left for the Warriors. Did he not? Uh, he definitely played at least one game on the left for the Warriors because I recall him uh, playing on early on down the left for the Warriors. And so. I know that it, I know that at training, when he's filled in, uh, or when he's been playing, he's been playing on the right side wing. But then again, there's uh, I, I'm having to go back to the early part of the season in my recollections of where he was filling in, and I I just have that I just have that recollection that he he would fill in wherever it was needed if there was a winger that was sitting out from a session, whether it be Mike or or Fergo. Um, but then again, we, we've we also had, at training, we've had Watson Halida fill in on the wing. Mm-hmm. We've had Hayes Dunster fill in on the wing. And this is in the in the first grade team in the opposed session. So, um, yeah, is, do you see it going any differently other than what I suggested, that it's tackle will come into the centre? You'll I would have, be, you'll have Wonga stunned. on a wing. Yeah, I'd be stunned. Yeah, yeah. I, I just yeah. don't see Brad rolling the dice on a sudden death elimination final with uh, Hayes Dunster on the flank, and yeah. you know, and as much as Wong has probably been warranted being uh, being dropped <laughs> with his form, um, yeah, you sort of your hands are tied. Like I said, there's Watson Halita um, as a as a real outside option. Will Smith does not strike me as a guy you want to be plugging and playing in as a starting central winger. So yeah, yeah your hand, your hands are sort of tied there. Yeah, yeah. So. How do we rebound? Just to as, as we start to wrap up this podcast, mate, because we've certainly, we've uh, we've had plenty to say. Without uh, we haven't had any any guests on today. It's been you and I. Yeah, and we're still managing uh, to ramble on as we always do. But, yeah. Um, so how do we rebound, mate? Look, how, how I I think how do we... I mentioned to you before the podcast. I think Brad missed a trick in the post match presser. I know it's not his philosophy to put the pressure on the officials, but I think that that he. You know, following the sort of the inconsistent ruck officiating, I think he had to put a blowtorch in the NRL, saying, "Hey, give us a fair go." And in, instead, I think that whoever we play next week are probably going to end up um, having the the not the lion's share, but definitely the um the favourable set of calls through the middle. So it's going to put us at a disadvantage to start with. But look, we've we've always got the talent to take either the let's say either the Storm, either Souths or or Newcastle. It's a matter of just staying true to who we are. Um, I think that we're going to have to leverage the talents of Junior and, and Reg more. Um, that, that was another thing that BA probably missed out a little bit was, you know, Reg only played 46 minutes. Junior did play 59 minutes, so that was a, a very healthy stint for him. But, you know, you, you almost have to ride them into the ground, don't you? Because yep. the alternative is Kane Evans, who unfortunately, as good as he can play at times, it's just there's too many brain farts in him defensively and offensively. Oh, sorry, yeah. the hiccups. Yeah, and, it's... Can I just say too that I wondered about RCG because when that uh, when the storm I think it was the uh, Pappenhausen try you saw Reg chasing back and he seemed to have a decided limp in his gait. Well that, that might have influenced the decision more which once again is why we're armchair coaches not actual coaches so it's easy yeah. it's easy for me to say you should have played Reg more but obviously there might be some nuance to it Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah you're going you're gonna to see Oregon come back into the team because Murata is almost certainly going to get suspended um, I do wonder if Will Smith holds his place in the team in not not as a knock to Will, not that he's done anything wrong, but in, in in so far as maybe we just need to beef up the bench, or maybe we carry a specialist back on the, on the um on the bench. I'm not sure. I'm just looking at what, what's available. What do you got? Uh, Hayes Dunster, Jay Field, Jamin Salmon, uh, Polar Gower. Um, Ray Stone, so, uh, yeah. So that that's about it. Um, yeah, it is. It is a. It is interesting because if you're if you're looking at the composition of the bench and how it covers contingencies in a match, you would have you would have probably said that an injury to any other back other than a winger that it. It was good to have Will Smith on there because <laughs> that, you, the... you could have had a you could have had a, a, a reshuffle that um, would have allowed uh, a number of options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's uh, that's instead, footy, baby. That is footy. Yeah, 
Yeah. The, the gods looked down at us and said, you know what? Just to spite you, both your wingers going down this game. Um, yeah, and and probably the only the only way around last night would have been Will Smith to fullback and which Gutho that, that is up in that is weak, weakening a strength to strengthen a weakness, and that that's, is that's it. Tech, textbook bad bad coaching if Brad had done that, and you know to his credit he didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and and that's that's why you. That that principle is so strong about what you said about you don't weaken one position to cover another because you, you wouldn't have been strengthening the other position you would have been covering that position yeah. so you you straight away at a loss and and the efforts that Gutho puts in he's look I know I know a little bit about what goes on with with some of the players and what they're match returns alike but the number of it's not just the kilometers that gutho runs that's insane it's actually the speed at which he runs those the, the maximum effort the percentage maximum effort so if he's running at about if he's running around 10 kilometers in a match which is insane in the first place he's redlining a huge portion of that yeah yes yes it's the the sort of figures are insane just insane so, and when there's been, even when there's been criticism about Mitch Moses in recent weeks, there was one week where he cracked running 10 kilometres in the match, which tells you just how involved he was in the match. It's, it wasn't just passing the ball on. It was the amount of work that he was doing in every play where he was involved, the amount that he was running, the amount of work that he was doing in defence, his movements around the field, it was you. So you could, you might be able to cover a large uh, number of kilometres in a match, but those GPS devices measure the effort within those within those kilometres. So. Um, yeah, uh, you you can't replace that with someone like Utherson. No. You just can't, and and hope to get a similar sort of result. So, like you, I think the uh, Parramatta has to keep focused on their strengths, and they have to create a new strength. Yeah, they have to create a level of mental strength of resilience, the likes of which they haven't found in the past no because this uh, you know as and we should we absolutely should keep crediting them for coming back into this game but it's obviously going to be a draining result on them psychologically you know they had yeah. a chance to upset the storm things went against them injuries went against them you know a couple of tough calls and they couldn't quite bring it home but now they got a reset they got seven days towards that seven i believe it's a saturday kickoff for our final now so they've got to got to find a way to reset refocus um you know they're obviously banged up um but you got to find a way you know, yeah. you know, it's going to be on Junior Paul and on Reagan Campbell Guard. You know, Sean Lane had a fantastic game against the, the Melbourne Storm. His best game in ages. He needs to back it up. You know, going to need him yeah. and Ryan Madison tearing it up on the edges. And regardless of whether we play Souths or the Knights, it's the same principle as what we came into this game against Melbourne uh, thinking. You can't let them skip out to a hot start. Playing from behind on a scoreboard is going to hurt you. You don't want to be chasing points and giving them momentum. Um, so you just got to make sure you're giving yourself a, a fair shot. Get out there. Yeah. Defend well. Attack, you know, attack competently. Take your chance, your chances. Take your chances when they pop up. You know, take your chances when they pop up. Um, like like we did against Melbourne. You know, we, we were aggressive early on. We shifted the ball, caused some caused some issues, but we weren't being reckless. So it, it's it's you know you got to find. We spoke about that red line of Gufferson. You got to play within that red line without you know flatlining. Yeah. So it, it's hard, but that's finals football. And yeah. you know this this is a, a big game for yours because you know back to back years of straight sets out in the finals will be devastating, even though there will be context to that this year between the injuries and and just you know the way the draws fallen for them with a bit of bad luck, but you you don't want to go out back to back back to back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and as you said, there's going to be regardless of what happens. That yes, there is context around it, but I have to keep coming back to what we need to show in the growth of our team. And we saw growth in the team straight away last night in terms of the direct comparison that could be made to the game against the Storm last year and the difference in the scoreline that was there. But we we can't take that on its own. We now have that follow-up match, whereas last year when we bowed out 
to Melbourne in the second week, that came on the back of a 58-0 thrashing of the Brisbane Broncos where we went down to Melbourne and it was immediately an elimination game because of the fact that we're coming from the bottom half of the eight and the fact that we performed poorly in that second week of the finals backed up the previous week, uh, previous time in the finals in 2017 where we absolutely deserved the win against the Storm in the in the qualifying final. And came out flat mentally, against North Queensland. Mentally mm. just did not back up at all against, mm. the, uh, against the Cowboys. So in this year, there is a massive upside if, if the Eels can get past this second week. It is going to say so much about them. It won't say if they get through that second week... It, the, it, it it still won't tell a whole story because they they then have to be able to back it up the week after against the Penrith Panthers against, against the Penrith Panthers, but against whoever we play next week is gonna is gonna say a lot about the progress that we've made as a team, and uh, the ball is in the Eels' court there, and um, let's let's move onwards and upwards because. Every team has to overcome adversity in a finals mm-hmm. series. So uh, Parramatta's going to have more than its share of it now in this series. And um, let's get behind them and, and, and Parramatta supporters give them what the what that word says, supporters, support. Get behind your team. You've got the opportunity to do so in a home match this coming week. So let's get behind the Eels and... Rather than finding the negatives, we found a bit to criticise today. It's the nature of yeah, what we do in nat- podcasts. Naturally, but, there is in a, in a thirty-six twenty-four loss. There's always going to be negatives, but yes, yeah. Th- this is I, I, it's definitely not a line in the sand moment for the club because they're clearly still building up a young squad. Like they do have a young squad that is building, and, and there's been a lot of setbacks this year. But you, you want them to see you want them to rise to the challenge, don't you? So let's get That's behind it. them. And regardless of whether it's South Sydney who beat us thirty-eight 0 or the storm, the storm, the Knights who we managed to knock off. 10 to 6, we're going to give them a red-hot crack either way. So yeah. get behind them. Uh, whoever Brad Arthur ends up picking in, in that um, makeshift back line, they're going to try their best. They're going to try their asses off. And, you know, we've got the talent across the park elsewhere to perhaps compensate for that. So yeah, look forward to the team was Tuesday. Look forward to kick off on Saturday. Um, and we should have another preview podcast this week, uh, knock on wood. So Well, it's we've got, we've got uh, Bernie lined up for the uh, preview podcast. So we've got that to look ahead. So anyone that's listening at the moment, please stay by the uh, podcast because we will have uh, another episode with the insights of Bernie Gurr for the uh, upcoming match. And obviously look for all the content coming through on TCT in this week. Yep. Remember, too much Parramatta is never enough. That's right. (laughs) So um, don't be afraid to join the conversation for this podcast in the comments. Um, you can always give us a like and a subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify, wherever is your preferred platform of choice. And yeah, and like 60 said, stay tuned for plenty of content. Have a great day, guys.